Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. You perhaps know that it's our uh, family pattern to go away at Easter for a week uh, with Judith's mum and Judith's sister and uh, her husband and her, her family. And it's one of my favorite weeks of the year. It's just a, a lovely week of family time and uh, fantastic food and relaxing. And um, perhaps you have similar family times, uh, times whenever you gather everyone together and you really enjoy it. Um, it. It happens different times of the year, Christmas, birthdays, weddings, all sorts of times when we gather. And yet not everyone in our world uh, has that privilege of belonging to a family where they enjoy that warmth. And yet, one of the wonderful things we see in the Bible is that God says everyone can belong to a family that's like that or should be like that. It's His family, Christ's family. And in the passage we read in Luke chapter 8, Jesus says something really surprising. We, we could, because we're familiar with it, say it as something pious and nice but it's really quite startling. He's been teaching the people. All sorts of people have been coming to hear him. He's not fooled. He knows that there are some people who hear, but they're not really listening. They're just there for the buzz because that's what the crowd's doing. There's some people who are hearing, but they're not taking it in. They're not being changed by it. There are other people who are caught up in the moment and are following along but it's not going to last. And Jesus tells a parable to illustrate the different sorts of hearing that there can be. And there could be those sorts of different hearing here this morning. Let me urge you not to be simply people who, who come and who hear what's said, but who listen and who put it into practice. That's what Jesus is encouraging. But look at what he says in verse 21 about the special relationship that those people have who hear His Word and put it into practice. I have to say, I was guilty of reading this over and over and not noticing it. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was reading in, in Luke and came across this, and because I was preaching a series on being adopted into God's family, I saw it in a whole new way. Jesus has been teaching, and at the edge of the crowd, huge crowd, his family arrive, his mother and his brothers. His father has likely passed away by this stage, but his, his mother and brothers are out at the outside fringe of the crowd. A, a message is passed up to the front, or to the middle, maybe it is, and it said, Jesus is told, your, your mother and your brothers are here. And then he says this, underlining what he's been saying about the importance of hearing what he says, listening to it, and putting it into practice in our lives. He says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's Word and put it into practice. My family, my closest relations, aren't flesh and blood but those who hear what I say and believe it. You're part of my family, he says, if you're hearing me, listening, and putting it into practice. 
What a fantastic privilege. And that's what the church is. Sometimes we think of church as a building, and we are looking at building a new building. We're not building a new church. The church is not the building. Sometimes we think of church as an event. We're going to church, and we mean we're going to be in this building for 11.30 on a Sunday morning or 8 o'clock on a Sunday evening, or wherever it is at whatever time. But church is not an event. We may even see church as a really useful event that we go to 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 get spiritually built up for the rest of the week. That's what happens when we meet together, but that's not church. Church is where we meet with God and with His people. It's the family of God here on earth. And as we've been thinking in this series of adoption, how we're born as orphans outside of God's family, how through putting our trust in Jesus, we get adopted into God's family. We've thought about our connection to, in a sense, our family in heaven, God the Father, uh, God the Son, our older brother, God the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us. We've thought about that, but this morning I want us to think over what it is that we are part of here, God's family on earth, to see the privilege of that and to see the responsibility of it. The world we live in is really individualistic. I and me and my. In the ancient world, and even in the Eastern world today, it's not like that. Who you are is more shaped by where you belong and to whom you belong, by your family. And when it comes to the Bible, it's not just a handy picture. It's what it is. In Psalm 68, God tells us that He sets the lonely in families. He puts us in His family. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. First thing that we want to see, and we have two main points. First of all, enjoying the family privileges. Enjoying the family privileges. One of the privileges of belonging to the, the Calderwood, Lockridge, Murray family is that we go on this Easter escape with its fantastic cooking, because all three of the women uh, and Jeremy are fantastic cooks, and then there's me. But I have the privilege of belonging to this family and enjoying the, just all of the culinary delights, and it's wonderful. I've been reading a book uh, on the history of Jerusalem, and there are families there that go back eight, nine hundred years, and they are known as the families. There's the Nisebi family, and there's the Husseini family, and there's two or three other families. But they have privileges there. The, the gatekeepers and the, the, the key holders uh, to the, the great sites in Jerusalem, they have privileges. What are our privileges? Let me list three. You are part of a family. You are part of a family. When you become a Christian— You're not simply brought into relationship with God, so you're not on your own. 
Your Father in heaven places you in His family on earth. And whenever we are reading in Paul's writings, he has got a favorite phrase to describe Christians. It's a little phrase that has lots of variations, in Christ, in Jesus Christ, or in Him. It emphasizes our connection with God. It occurs over 160 times. And then he's got a second favorite phrase. It occurs 133 times. It's the word brother, or brothers, or brothers and sisters. And he uses it about his fellow Christians. People, some of whom he had never met before, he writes to the church in Colossae, faithful brothers, never met them. He writes to the church in Rome, my brothers, he had never met them, my brothers and sisters, never met them. Now, some of the people in Rome were Gentiles. Some of the people in Colossae were Gentiles. They were culturally opposite to Paul. But no matter, he sees them as family. Some of them had been involved in grotesque immorality, but they've been rescued out of it. Paul says, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. They are my family. There's a close connection. You know, the the Greek word for brother or sister means from the same womb. That's what it means, from the same womb. And that gives people a connection. Just yesterday, in fact, in the news, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, found, uh, it was reported that he had just found out that the man he thought was his father wasn't his father. Another man was his father. But this had come to light because other children of this other man noticed the family resemblance. Said, He's a dead ringer for our father. And then Justin Welby gave a fantastic response. He said, yes, this is surprising and shocking news, but I am not rocked to the core of my existence. He says, because my identity is found in Jesus Christ. I thought, wow, there's a man who knows that he's been adopted into God's family. But that, that sense of kinship that came from somebody saying, no, you, you're a dead ringer. They had, they had come from the same, the same family. You come from the same womb, spiritually speaking, if you've become a Christian. You've been given new life by the Holy Spirit. Peter writes that you've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. And I wonder if Paul used that word so much, not just simply because he knew it was true, but because it was special. It really was special. If I were to ask you, what was the first word that Paul heard as a Christian from a Christian? Well, I've given the game away. You know what it is, but go back in your mind's eye to the scene. He had been traveling to Damascus to arrest, to beat, to torture Christians because he believed Jesus was a con artist and a blasphemer. And Jesus, he believed, was dead, and he couldn't get his hands on, these, on Jesus, but he could get his hands on these blasphemers 
who said that he was God, and Jesus appeared to him in blinding light. And Paul realizes that he's been wrong. Jesus is God. And he sits for three days in blindness in a house on Straight Street in Damascus. And then there's a knock at the door. And perhaps one of Paul's companions goes to the door and brings in someone, and he says to Saul, Saul, it's a man called Ananias, one of the Christians. Imagine what, what Saul, as he was called then, must have been thinking. What's he going to say? I've beaten, I've arrested, I've tortured, I've perhaps even killed some of this man's friends, and I would have arrested him if I could have got my hand on him. What will he say to me? Will he crow over me? Will he exult? He were wrong, Saul. How does it feel to know that you were wrong? Would he accuse me of brutality and, and murder? And as Saul sits there waiting for Ananias to speak, Ananias comes over to him and he says, Brother Saul. It's incredible. It's utterly amazing. Here's Saul, never more alone in his life realizing that he is now against all of what the Jewish people believed, and he has been persecuting the Christian. Would anybody want him? He's not alone. Brother Saul. This term was anchored in reality for Saul. The same blood that had washed Ananias' sins away had washed Saul's away, has washed yours away put your trust in Christ. You have brothers and sisters. You have the same Father. You have been adopted into the same family. If Jesus were to come in here this morning, He would say, my brothers and sisters. He would be standing there, and if you were to come walking into the porch, He would say to you, ah, oh, my brother, my sister, do you know this, this brother or sister of mine? And you would see the reality of the family. Do you grasp that you're not alone? And this matters because Jesus had said that if anyone comes to me, that he would end up perhaps having to leave behind his own father and mother. A friend of a friend of mine, that happened to her. Her mother said that if she joined the church, there was a day she was going to be baptized and to join a congregation. She'd become a Christian. Her mother said to her, if you do that, when you come back here, all your stuff will be sitting in the porch, and you'll not be allowed into the house. She went to church because she valued her relationship with Jesus far more, saw that it was far more eternally significant, and went to church, came back, and there was everything sitting for her to take wasn't welcomed back into her home, but she had found a new family, and her brothers and sisters in Christ took her in and provided a home for her, because Jesus not only warned us that we might have to forsake our own parents and our own brothers and sisters, He promised this in Mark 10, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fails for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fails. Along with them persecutions, 
and in the age to come eternal life. We have a family. A Christian is not alone. You put your trust in Christ, and you are brought into His wonderful family on earth. And some of you, I know, have experienced that. You've experienced that sense of the family when you've been in difficulty, whether it's been you've been in hospital for surgery and other family members had to go to hospital, and you found out that there are Christians praying all over this island for you. Further afield, they're praying for you. Maybe you've met a Christian somewhere else, and you've felt an immediate connection with them. God has placed you in His family. What a privilege. Let me mention two other privileges very briefly. It's a supporting family. You're part of a family, and it's a supporting family. The Father has given household instructions. Every house has its rules and ways of doing things, every family. And God has given family instructions. You can find them in your Bibles in the New Testament every time you see the phrase, one another. Love one another. Build up one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Accept one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Or as maybe your parents said, stop your fighting. Live in harmony with one another. They're family commands. Offer hospitality to one another. These are our Father's vision of a close-knit family caring for each other. Jesus said, we read in John 13, see how they love one another. That's your privilege. It's a command, yes, but it's your privilege to be at the receiving end of it. All of your brothers and sisters in Christ having an obligation to care for you. I could give dozens, if not hundreds of examples of that from history. But let me give you two from more recent times. Well, one from history. Whenever a plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, Christians took care of the sick at risk of contracting the plague themselves. The Romans were throwing out members of their family out into the street to die. You got sick, they threw you out. The Christians were taking in people to care for them because they were family, and even those that weren't family. A more recent example. One of the books I read on a, was reading on adoption, the doctrine of adoption. The author told about a church that he belonged to in Chicago where a lady had to have dialysis every week because her kidneys weren't working. And then she became so sick that she needed a kidney transplant and was one of the ladies in the church who said, take one of my kidneys. If it's a match, you can have it so that you can live. Here was sharing. Here was family. Here was support at a deep level and a costly level. Helen Roosevelt, the, the missionary uh, who's written a number of books that some of you have read, uh, told a story about traveling throughout America and speaking in different places, and she hadn't money to, to fund the flights, but they'd all been booked for her by the churches that she was speaking in. And all she had to do was turn up at an airport, and uh, she had a book of tickets, and the next ticket would take her to her next destination. She got to an airport, and the next ticket wasn't there. The, the next one was there to take her from 
the airport that she should have been flying to to the next place, but the ticket to get her there wasn't there. She said to the, uh, the receptionist at the, 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 the bookings desk, um, she explained the difficulty and said, could you take the phone book back in the days when you had phone books? And can you go down through it till you find the first man with reverend at his name? Clark thought, what on earth? Went down the phone book, found somebody, reverend so-and-so. He said, can you ring them and explain the situation? The clerk was a bit bemused and rang this person anyway, explained the scenario. After a brief conversation, she put the phone down and looked more dazed than before. She said, he's coming straight here and is going to pay for your missing ticket. Here's the great privilege of belonging to the church. There's something outlandish about that and, and incredible about it. It's true. It doesn't always happen on such a, a startling scale for us, but it shows the reality. She believed, not just that God would provide, but that being part of God's family, somehow, some way, some of the family would come good. Here's the great privilege. You've got a family that supports you. The reality is this. If my older brother was prepared to give his life for you, how could I not be prepared to help? How could you not be prepared to help another brother or sister in whatever way we can? There's the wonder of the support of the family. We may lose out in family, in our family on earth, on our our physical relations on our community. They might think that we've left them behind, but God says, I've got a place for you where you will be supported and nourished and nurtured. And then the third privilege, and I'll only just mention it, it's a diverse family. You think of all the different walks of life and all the different types of people, and here's something. You have more in common with a native from Papua New Guinea who's a Christian than you do with maybe your next-door neighbor, or perhaps even a family member. You could go anywhere in the world and sit down beside a Christian, and you have an immediate connection with them. Here's the diversity of the family, the wonder of the family. We're adopted brothers and sisters in Christ. What a fantastic thing to be part of. Not sitting in church, People can sit in church and not be part of the family. But what a fantastic thing it is to be part of this family, never alone, never unsupported. You're a blood-bought member of the most wonderful family in the world. We need to praise God for that, because the more we praise Him for that, the more we grasp that we are family, the more we will look like family. But the more we grasp that we are family, the more we will see that He is our Father, and we will enjoy being children of God. And then the second main point that we want to make this morning, by way of application, if we're to enjoy the family privileges, we need also to exercise the family responsibilities. Exercise the family responsibilities. Good family life doesn't just happen. We know that. It takes us to work at it. Um, enjoying family privileges doesn't just happen. 
Judith and her mum and her sister came with meals thought out and even prepared to our family getaway. The, the good time didn't just happen. There was thinking and planning and service went into it. And thinking of the church's family helps us to see our responsibilities. You know how often uh, a mother has said to her children as they've got up from the table and left all the dishes sitting scattered, uh, she said, you know, I'm not your servant. Or is it just my mum? Or she comes into the room and it's covered, your bedroom and it's covered in clothes that haven't been hung up or put in the wash. And she says, do you think I'm your servant? Well, church is not an event that we go to. In which case, we might think that, well, the people that are there, the office bearers are there to serve. Church is family. When you go to McDonald's, you're served. When you're in your own home, we help put the food on the table. We help clear the table. We help with the dishes because it's family. And so, let me give you four brief applications of how we live as family. First of all, be with the family. Be with the family. Too often churches aren't family and people don't spend time together. They, they come and they go and that's it. And they're maybe there at one event and no more. If you can, seek to be where the family is gathering. If you can. We have other responsibilities as parents and other hindrances perhaps with age or illness. But as far as it's possible, let's seek to be with the family when the family's gathering. The writer to the group of Hebrew Christians says to them, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. Here's why we need the church's family, to meet together. It's not just about being taught. Your presence is an encouragement to others. Your presence is a support to others. Your presence enables you to be an encouragement and to instruct and to bear one another's burdens. Be with the family. Secondly, serve the family. Serve the family. Jesus isn't here, but His brothers are. His sisters are. God the Father isn't here, but His daughters are. His sons are. We can't directly minister to Jesus, our brother or the Father, but we can serve those they delight the most. And it's really encouraging to see how things happen just so smoothly in our congregation when it's a church lunch, when it's the coffee and tea after the service, even when it's the cleaning up rota, how people serve. Let's keep at that. That's what family life should be. I was hearing just yesterday about someone in a congregation who every time they were asked to serve said no. What a sad thing. Will you bring a tray of sandwiches? No, that's not what I do. Would you hand round this? No, I couldn't do that. No, no, they just didn't serve. How sad. Carry one another's burdens, our Father says. That's serving. When you go away and pray for someday in the congregation, you're serving them. When you ask them how they're doing so you can pray for them. 
When you ask them, how did that interview go? When you ask them, how did that appointment go? How's lambing going? How's calving going? I've been praying for you. How are you sleeping this week? I know you weren't sleeping well. You're bearing one another's burdens. You're serving them. You know, people in the world climb over each other to get on top. They don't care who gets trampled as long as they make it. Our Father says, honor one another above yourselves. He says, put one another first. By this, he says, love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. Consider others more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Our Father says, be together as a family. Serve as a family. Guard the family. Families can irritate each other from time to time. This side of heaven, we've all got corners and rough edges and jaggy points on us. Being in a family actually knocks them off us a bit and makes us more rounded individuals. But there'll always be things that will irk and offend intentionally or unintentionally. And we have an enemy who wants this family to fall apart. So we need to guard. We've talked about it often. We've prayed about it, especially as we're engaged in this building project. We need to guard our unity. We also need to watch not just that we're united on the issue of the building, but if Satan can't get in there, he will try and cause niggles and squabbles and irritations on all sorts of other minor issues so that we are resentful and silent and there's a coldness creeps in. Let's be alert to how our enemy works. We're going, we see that in how Satan attacks the, the work in Nehemiah that we've been looking at in our Bible study. Let's be doubly on our guard. Say to yourself, This is my brother, my sister in Christ. Christ died for them. How could I hold anything against them? My Savior died for them. And we need to guard that unity with respect to other churches, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in other churches, in the Presbyterian church, the Baptist church, wherever we find people who know Jesus as their Savior. Guard that sense of family. And then, finally, expand the family. Thinking and grasping that we are family may help us with our evangelism. We're not, on it, we're not in it on our own. But not only that, we're bringing people into God's family. And we can have confidence, can't we, bringing them amongst the family, whether it's to uh, an event that we're we're hosting, um, where there's maybe music and food, a family night, whether it's a church lunch, whether it's even to come to a Bible study or a church service, where they get to mingle with us afterwards, and they can see something of family life. They may then think to themselves, you know, there's something here. How many times has that been the case where people have thought, there's something here. These people, they get on, they love each other, they care for each other. And before they believe, they have a sense, I want to belong to that. 
Evangelism isn't a solo project. It's not simply about wanting people to see that they're wrong and they're guilty and that they need to be saved. It's that they're lost. And there's a home, and there's a father who would care for them, and there's a place they can belong, and there's an older brother who would die for them, who would rescue them. Thinking family changes how we see church. It changes. We saw last week, last Sunday, how it changes how we see God. Adoption changes how we see God. It changes how we see God's family too, how we see church. Let's think family as we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The more we grasp it, the more it should impact us. You know, the, the final act of our Easter escape is a family photo. The camera perched on some gatepost or pillar, and we all crowd in in front of the, the place we've gone to, and there's a picture taken. Well, this is the canvas. This is the canvas on which God paints his family picture. It's Milford, Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's this little picture. There are other places painting the picture in other churches, but this is us here. This is the canvas on which he's painting the picture of his family in this place. Do you see yourself in the picture? Are you in the family? Are you enjoying the privilege of being part of the family? And are you serving the family? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to say that phrase. Thank you that you bring us into your heavenly family and that you bring us into your family here on earth. And one day the two will meet and be together as one. And we look forward to that day. And Father, we pray that you make our church here more and more family-like. We thank you for what you've done. We praise you for the warmth of fellowship, for the servant heart, and we pray for even more of it. And we pray for new additions to the family and that lots of people will come in and that they will not simply join our church, that's not what it's about, but that they will join your family and they will enjoy being part of your family as it's seen in this church here. Father, we pray for uh, those that we know that are on the fringe of the family. And Lord, we pray that you would bring them in and that they would be enveloped, embraced, by the warmth of your kindness, your love, and your forgiveness, and be part of your family. And Father, we pray that you would help us to guard your family and to serve your family. We ask it in Jesus' name, and for his sake, amen.